0: Switch Radio Sport. This is Switch.
1: Hello and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast on Switch Sport with Kevin Moore and Agatha Skazinska, and our guest this week is Andy Berman, the first team manager of Sutton Coalfield Town Ladies Football Club. Hello Andy, welcome back to Switch Sport.
0: Hello Kevin, great to be here.
1: No thanks very much, great for you to join us today. I've got a fair few things we'll cover during the course of the uh, programme as well. But thought I'd start off with Andy. Uh, growing up when you were playing football, who were the driving forces that pushed you to, to consider a playing career?
0: I grew up in an era where you played football all the time. It was second nature to To be doing this with my friends and everybody else so it it wasn't a case of being pushed my father wasn't particularly interested in football although my parents supported me but it was just the regularity and playing with your friends and your mates and gradually you played with kids that were older than you and bigger than you and stronger than you and it just carried on from there really it was a, a fantastic hobby and a brilliant way to spend your time um, there was no internet in those days no computers or anything like that the tv wasn't that brilliant either so it really was if you were into sport it was really the only thing to do and uh, you know i'm played it to the max uh, almost seven days a week certainly school holidays it was it was a, almost a full-time fixture.
1: Andy, you had trials as a player for a range of clubs including Crewe, Northampton and Lincoln. When you arranged open trial days for players to join Sutton Carlton Ladies, do you draw from the experience you had when attending trials as a player to understand how younger players were be feeling when they go through similar situations?
0: I think so, yes. When you're young and you're going to a professional club to try and do your best, it's exceptionally difficult because there's another 21 lads there as well trying to do the same thing, trying to impress usually from all parts of the country. I've had kids come from all over the place, Bristol, up north, to trials for different clubs, and um, that's what they did. They've got regional scouts going out looking for different people, and it was one of those sort of situations where you do pick up a lot of worry, in the sense, because you've got to perform. And what I try and do with our players, particularly the young players, is to say to them, look just play your game you know well you don't have to impress you're not going out there competing against these other people you're just competing with yourself just do your best and you can't really as i was judged on one game we don't judge people on on one game we give them a few games to play in so that they can give of their best and we can take a a view because you can have an off day you can have nerves you can have You know, it's a new situation. So we try and put them at their ease and make them feel this is just another game rather than pile the pressure on and say, you've got to perform. And I think, you know, lots of youngsters now, you'd be surprised, you know, they're quite confident kids, whereas when I was 15, 16, it was a different world and and you did as you were told and, uh, you know, you did your very best. And see what happened these days, you know, we're far more... Empathetic to youngsters coming through and indeed we've had junior girls come through and play in the first team this last season. It was fairly nerve-wracking for them, but they've done a brilliant job. So don't judge. You know, give people the opportunity, understand what they're going through and see where it comes out at the end of the day. So Andy, Crew,
1: Alexandra are a club that have got an established pedigree of developing players who have gone on to great success in the game. With regards to your time at the club, I'd like to focus on the relationships you had with Dennis Violet, Jim Emilia and Harry Gregg, who coached or managed you during this time. What was their approach to coaching like? And did this experience have a bearing on how you would later develop your approach to coaching and managing players yourself?
0: I think like all managers, you know, managers are different. And uh, although I didn't have an awful lot to do with Harry Gregg, Jimmy Melia was very much a Bill Shankly type character. You roll your sleeves up and you get on with it. And um, physical fitness, being able to knock the ball 60, 70 yards, you know, that was important. Very much a motivational, gritty environment in which to to train. Dennis Violet was a fantastic guy. He was a footballer, you know. He believed in passing the ball, moving as a team, keeping possession and all these sorts of things and what I would call a classic footballer. His approach was very, very different. Arm around the player, come on, let's get this sorted, let's do it this way, let's try it that way. Very much a player's player, managed in that light. I think what you gain from that is... Okay, what were the good bits? What were the not-so-good bits? And it's very, very interesting. All the teams I've managed or coached always insisted that they play football. You know, I'm very anti-Route 1, unless you're in trouble. And I think this has stuck with me all my life, really. You play football, and you pass the ball, and you move, and you keep it, and so on, all the way till getting a shot away. So that's what it taught me, and... I love to see teams playing that way. Uh, I appreciate there were other parts to the game. I don't happen to be from that school, to be fair, but these guys certainly had an influence on me and made me decide how I would like to be and carried on that way. So it was, you know, it sticks with you, believe it or not. You know, you've got to plug on the experience of these guys. You know, ex-Man United, ex-Liverpool, ex Northern Ireland goalkeeper Man United you know these are people that were giants of the game in their era and have a lot of had a lot of knowledge to pass on, but also a lot of experience, which which is something that you tap into as a as a young boy, you know, or a young lad, and uh, it sticks with you, no doubt.
1: Andy, during their playing careers, Dennis Violet, Jimmy Melia and Harry Gregg all played during a pivotal time in the English game, with Jimmy playing for Liverpool under Bill Shankill, as you've just alluded to there, while Dennis and Harry played for Manchester United and Matt Busby as part of the Busby Babes. Did they share with you and other players while at crew stories or their experiences from this time when they were playing football for Liverpool and man you accordingly
0: to be honest they're highly modest people you might find surprising but they didn't talk a lot about their previous history they were very much for the moment and for the environment that they were in but they weren't the sort of people that sat down and told you stories of when I did this 20 years ago, and when I did this, and this happened, they were very much for the moment, you know, this is how I'd like it done, this is how we're going to train, this is, you know, it was very much, we want to improve you, we want to improve everybody, and we want the team to do well. So, no, they weren't storytellers, and their experiences were how they were and how they came over as individuals on the training pitch and And in matches, you know, the overwhelming memory that I've got, they passed on the experience live during a training session or a game rather than sat down and lamented about it over, you know, weeks and weeks of being there. So very modest people and you know, very informative, but in a practical way.
1: Andy, during your late teens, sadly, you sustained two injuries when you were playing at Crewe, in which you were out for a significant period of time, and while undergoing trials at Northampton and Lincoln, and you were out playing again for another year. But these injuries contributed to having to stop playing altogether. Now, was it during this time that you actually started thinking about a different role and career path in football?
0: I think as a youngster, very difficult when a consultant says to you, when all this is healed up, you've probably got 12 months at best after these two injuries are fully healed. So one had healed and then I got done with another one. But um, it does make you stop and think. And as a youngster, all you want to do is play. And that's the main thing, really. But I do think that it does make you think. At that time, I wanted to hope of hope to try and get back into it it wasn't to be so i thought right okay i've got to do something in relation to to coaching or coaching badges i know we'll come on to that a bit later but that's where my head was at that time because i knew i was never going to get anywhere uh, i was going to be too incapacitated to to make a living out of it and uh... As a young person, when you get that sort of feedback from a medical person, it's not nice to hear, but you then have to pull yourself together and get on with it.
1: And in today's modern game, the welfare and support that players receive both physically and mentally when recovering from injury has improved considerably over the years. It's got a lot better, hasn't it? What was support like for you at the time? And do you use this experience as a means to ensure your players nowadays receive the best support possible when they are injured?
0: It's absolutely crucial, and with all these therapy degrees, physiotherapy, rehab degrees. Now, you know, students are trained to a a good high degree in terms of medical backup. In my day, you know, it just wasn't like that, you know. And I I can remember, I'm not saying where it was, but I can remember with a a really, again, a bad ankle injury and, and my ankle was out like a tennis ball. And the trainer had put oil on it and was treating it with an infrared lamp even the average ten-year-old now knows that if you've got swelling of any kind then you put an ice pack on it you immobilize it you keep it cold this prolonged injuries and this prolonged recovery time it was very frustrating but you do as you're told because you know you are a a professional club and um, you know it doesn't always go that way and same with exercises and things like that people would cringe if If they saw some of the things we had to do, you know, you're doing bunny hops with a fireman's lift, you know, you've got someone on your back who weighs 11 stone and you're doing bunny hops up and down for, you know. 40 50 yards and um, you know you just don't do that you know it puts endless strain on your on your knees but we fortunately we're wiser and as we've moved on now you know treatment is is much much better and certainly you know we've been very lucky with the people we've had doing our treatments down at the club the recovery of players so that they can gradually come back into training and fitness to get back into the game so it changed immeasurably over the The last forty years, and as I said, people would cringe these days if they saw some of the things that went on. But uh, thank goodness, you know, we're on a far better track now.
1: Having experienced a range of opportunities working in the men's game, you joined Women's Team FC Reedswood as first team coach, of which you met Kelly Williams, who was running the club at the time. How did that meeting with Kelly actually come about?
0: Interesting, really. Um, I'd got a new grandson and was unable to commit to any sort of Saturday football and uh, I bumped into somebody at a petrol station he suggested looking at women's football which had never been on my radar so I wrote to a few clubs and said look could I come and shadow your coach your manager to see what goes on and what happens because you know it was a million miles from any experience I'd had I wrote to a number of clubs that were either promoted or being in the process of challenging for promotion and um, this was a the beginning of the pre-season and um, I met with a couple and Kelly was one of those people and she just said well just come along and, and watch us and see what we do and all the rest of it which I did and did a session for them and then their manager had got a different job and he had to go uh, he'd just got them promoted to the National League so Here's me with no experience of women's football going straight in as first team coach with the National League team which was not, again, not something I expected but that's how it came about but um, yeah, I met with Kelly I was very impressed with her how she saw the world Um, we've been friends ever since and I really respect what she's done and um, you know, I learnt a lot about women's football at Reedswood uh, and it was really important that I did before going to to sort of look at other things and um, I'm really grateful to her for the experience that I got there you know um taught me an awful lot I couldn't possibly have in an awful short space of time as well learned an awful lot about the women's game and and how it's run and and what happens in it so uh, yeah that's how how we met up
2: Andy do you remember your first game as a coach for Richard and what can you tell us about this very first game?
0: I do remember it. We played Burton Albion in a FA Cup tie and we won. I think it was 7-1 or 8-1 we beat Burton Albion so that was a brilliant start. It was an excellent game for us to, uh, to move on in the FA Cup which is an important part of of women's football and uh, it's also a good financial part as well but uh, really pleased with the performance and uh, we really turned it on that day so I thought oh this is really good I enjoy this.
2: What was it about being at Reedswood that inspired you to want to set up a women's team and what impact did Kelly Williams have on you in making this decision?
0: Kelly even At her young, tender age, she'd done an awful lot, again, in a short space of time. You know, she was in, really, the beginning of women's football, playing it, and had evolved with it. And I think she was inspirational, in a way, because you were getting feedback, watching what happened, what went on. And I thought, I'd always gone there with the purpose of setting up my own team, because... That's why I wanted to go and shadow somebody and see what all this was about, to see if I could do something in the, in the women's game. And, um, you know, thanks to Kelly, really, she gave me the springboard to, to do other things and the opportunity to have the experience of what was, you know, the beginnings of, of my, my journey in women's football. And it was, it was really exciting. And I owe an awful lot to her still ask us stuff to this day you know it's a great way of sharing and I think we both have the same sort of philosophy on the game.
1: So Andy, Reeds would have since then become associated with Sporting Calcer and were renamed as Sporting Calcer Women and have gone on to great success now playing in the National League. When you were looking to set up a women's team was your plan to find a non-league team you could form a partnership with to get the women's team established?
0: Absolutely, everybody now takes that as a a sort of blueprint because single source female teams are very difficult to sustain and what you're running on is is subs basically so you're asking 14, 15, 16 players to pay a monthly subs to run your team and that's not an easy thing to do It's, it's very very difficult you've got pitch hire, kit cleaning all these other things that most people never see and I think you needed to have a an association with uh, a men's team as it were so that so that you could piggyback on some of the things that they'd done and and developed within the women's game so it was important initially to find a potential partner for the team
2: and while you were establishing your own team how much in depth research did you have to do to recruit your initial group of players?
0: I did an awful lot of research, I went to watch a lot of games, I went to watch a lot of players and I rapidly realised that you had to bring in some key people that could play and that had experience. Where you got these people from was another question in itself but I realised I needed to get three or four key people who could play and understood the women's game that's where I set out to do that and I pulled out a number of players that I'd been to watch I saw a player was Shaney Jennings and Shaney Jennings was one of the first players that we signed at Boldmere and then very quickly Ruth Graham became aware of Ruth Graham and approached her about being involved and once you get a few players then they start to they know other players so that's really how it developed but um yeah, it was quite a quick process. I put an advert in the local paper as well. Three or four players from a team appeared with their dad, which is Kevin Thomas, and he's still working with us to this day. So soon, quite quickly, we'd got 12, 14 players with other ones coming along as well. So it was quite a speedy process. We gathered as a group quite quickly, that was really exciting really. The first friendly game we played, we went to a team called Stone Dominoes who had just got promoted from the Staffs County League, I remember the guy in the clubhouse talking to us saying well you know we like to play an easy team to start with to you know get some goals and some confidence and all this sort of thing and uh, this was our first game as a friendly, the girls had got men's kit and the shirts were coming out through the shorts. And we went up to uh, there and in our first game we beat this Stone Dominoes 3-2 and they were absolutely dumbfounded and I think we were pretty dumbfounded as well. But it just shows you, you know, with a lot of organisation and a lot of effort you can go out and do these things and uh, that was the start of our journey um, that game at Stone Dominoes.
1: OK, Andy, so then you set up Balmere St. Michael's Ladies and you were based at the Trevor Memorial Ground at Balmere, starting out in the Birmingham County Leagues at the time. At the time, who were the key personnel within Balmere itself? Was there people on the men's side who could see the advantage of you joining their set-up at Balmere? Shani Jennings has gone on to greater things in the women's game, as we know. Was there particular people in the men's section of Balmere who really wanted you to become part of the club and become part of Balmere St. Michael's at the time?
0: It was just turning on former associations really keith fielding was chairman of boldmere at the time and and alan parsons as well i spoke to both those two to see where the land lay really in having that sort of association with the club um, and it was kind of the discussion was around how can it be afforded we couldn't use the pitch at boldmere so that meant we had to hire another ground and uh, we were very lucky and got the uh, the old gas ground in Erdington uh, on Holly Lane as our home ground, which uh, which was a blessing really because it was a decent pitch. Games were very rarely called off and it was a big pitch as well, so we could play football. Um, and that's really how it all started.
1: And going back to that time then, Andy, were Boldmere always going to be a strong candidate for you to approach based on your time there coaching the youth team?
0: I think so. I think you've got to look at geography, you've got to look at all the options and choices that of that time I did have preliminary discussions with Neil Murrell at, at uh, Sutton Town at the very beginning to see where they sat with a women's team and it was just not the right time for us then to do that but again they were still very interested in doing something because they were at the time I think they'd got Aston Villa ladies based there or the season after they'd got Aston Villa ladies based there and they'd got no presence of women's football at the time so, but it just wasn't right for a number of reasons and uh, obviously it's something we came back to years later but Boldmere just worked at that point in time.
2: Andy, setting up a team is a challenge at any level in the game. So how did you go about recruiting your own team around you in terms of coaching staff and volunteers behind the scenes to help you to run the day-to-day tasks
0: within the team? I
2: approached
0: James Green, who's our current secretary, and asked him if he'd like to be involved. James uh, loves football and he is really the best signing we've ever made works exceptionally hard over and above and it's one of those situations where you need people that give you stickability and glue things together and very much James was one of these people and one of the other uh, mainstays has been Kevin Thomas we were growing and we needed to develop people ourselves rather than just bring in the experience so Andy, at the time, with the possible exception
1: of Aston Villa ladies, there wasn't many women's teams near you in and around North Birmingham or the Sutton Caulfield area, but plenty of non-league teams. Was this a key factor in deciding the location of where you wanted to establish the club as a pathway for young girls to start their journey in the game with
0: yourselves? It was one of the major considerations because Sutton Caulfield well, and the surrounding area has a, a population of 100,000 people. And my logic was that there must be Uh, within that population, a a number of female footballers. So as well as the experienced ones that I went out to look for to be the mainstay, it was a good recruiting ground for younger players who had played junior football at some of the teams in and around the Coalfield area.
1: And in the early days of Balmer St. Michael's Ladies, success was achieved with league promotions and cup success by winning the League Cup against Rugby Town. Now, I was fortunate enough to be covering the cup final for Switch Sport. And on looking at the team sheet from that day. Ruth Graham, Haley Chatwin and Laura Fryer, a.k.a. Mush, are still to this day playing for the club. Now, Ruth and Haley, in particular have both reached a milestone number of appearances for the team. But by still having these players with you, can you elaborate further the contributions these players have made to the club and how they've been of use to you when supporting new players that come into the club even to this day?
0: Ruth and uh, Chatters have both achieved the milestone of 100 appearances for which they were rewarded with silverware. Unbelievable really, considering both of them had had Ruth out with time with injury and Haley Chaplin with an operation in that time. They still hit those performance targets and and I think they make a major contribution, not only are they good players, they also encompass and understand what it's like to be 16 or 17 uh, and playing at this level of football and they're a massive help and Ruth is a really excellent defender although she scored a lot of goals and has played up front, that's certainly declining now because obviously we're changing where we're playing and what we're doing but uh, Ruth was in the early days you know Ruth was uh, knocking the ball in the the net on a regular basis Hayley Chatwin again you know lovely girl 90% frustration 10% genius she's the girl that will get you the 30 yarder into the top corner of the net one minute from time or bang on 90 minutes and uh, she's consistently doing it all the time so they're ideal players for the junior players to look up to and the younger players to look up to. So every value to those two, they've been a major contributor to the success of the team and also to bringing in and developing younger players that don't have their level of experience.
1: So after a couple of seasons of winning the titles and a Cup, the announcement then came that the club were going to change their name to Sutton Coldfield Town Ladies and relocate into Coles Lane. Now, without going too much into the background reasons why, Andy, while in the past other teams who changed their name do so through a merger or through sponsorship and financial reasons, or to a certain extent, that's what happened with FC Reedswood. they had the opportunity to affiliate themselves with an established non-league club to become that club's women's team. At the time, can you sum up why you thought you had to go for this quite dramatic turn of events?
0: We registered the team as an independent team to begin with, so we weren't technically under the Baldmere umbrella, although we took their name, they were in the process of having a 3G pitch put down at some considerable cost with no FA funding. This was all done from within. And I think we had kind of reached the end of the line in terms of where we could go and what we could do. Um, Money played a a significant part in, in that and there was a sort of general feeling that we weren't getting the level of support that we wanted and um, that led us to have discussions elsewhere.
1: For any club, regardless of how long they have been in existence, going through a complete change of identity like you did can understandably polarise opinions. Andy, I'd like to start by focusing on the reaction in the dressing room. As you know, it takes time and effort to recruit, train and develop players And while the team were becoming more successful, you and other members within the club, both the men's side and the women's side, are trying to establish the name Balmer St Michael's Ladies within the local community. So what was the response like from the players at the time when this decision was made?
0: There was quite a mixed reaction, really. Some people were surprised, some people were upset, some people going along with it. There was a sort of mixed reaction, as it were, because once we explained the situation to the players and told them what the issues were, why we felt it was in our interests as a group to move elsewhere. There was a few hard decisions made, but we've always, the people running it have always tried to act in the best interests of the team and the players and not get dragged into football politics which which obviously was one of the reasons why the change was needed.
2: And outside the dressing room, what was the reaction like of this decision across the wider community and from the other managers, players and colleagues that you knew in football?
0: The reaction was, I think, one of surprise. Obviously, when you're outside looking in, you, you get a different view of what's going on. And at the same time, we were trying to do the right thing for the players and the future development of, of what we've got, I think we felt one of the reasons sort of for the departure was we felt very much like second class citizens and uh, that's not something you want to to prevail for very long so that was the reason that we we moved forward. The wider community you know will stick with what they've got and accept changes we got no adverse comment from. Other managers or players from elsewhere within the game, and we soon quickly got settled into Sutton Town and got on with our with our business
2: and from a personal point of view, how did all of this affect you at the time?
0: It's very frustrating. these things are so time consuming. Um, I spent hours and hours and hours dealing with paperwork, dealing with the FA, dealing with the county FA, we had meetings upon meetings as to how to react to certain things and it all got a little bit out of hand really and at the end of the day I'm glad it's in the past and we've moved on to a better home. It's one of those things, it's in the past, it's gone, it's forgotten now, It's. It's three seasons ago, and we're just trying to move onwards and upwards.
2: And as you said, going through this change would have involved all manner of paperwork to get this decision agreed by the FA. How did your club secretary that you've mentioned before, James Green, deal with the increased workload that this has created?
0: I think it was a tremendous burden and an an unnecessary burden because things were uncertain for so long all the way through pre-season even up to a week or two before the season was to start and it was all a little bit unnerving because nobody quite knew what was going to happen or where the, where the latest challenge would come from or what would happen. James was working through all these things with us together and you know we all tried to be as supportive as we could to make sure that it wasn't just left to him because you know, we are a tight little group. We had four or five people working on all the different aspects of, of the transfer over and the change of name and this sort of thing. So, yeah, it was a difficult time, but we came through it and I think we're the better for it.
1: So, Andy, when you moved to Coles Lane, you are now then known as Sutton-Calfoy Town Ladies. And no doubt you would have had detailed conversations with Nick Thurston and Neil Morel at the club before making the final decision to become their official women's team. Now, both Balmere and Sutton already had experience in hosting women's teams, with Astonville ladies having played at both grounds. That time when you moved to Coles Lane, was that a key factor in your decision to mo- actually move to Coles Lane, the fact you knew that experience of like, looking after women's teams anyway?
0: It was a planned and easy decision. There wasn't any thinking, there wasn't any shall we, shall we. They were there, they were keen to have a women's team, keen to support the women's team in, in doing what, what they did. Fair play to them both. Nick and Neil have, have been very very supportive for us ever since we set foot in the place very grateful to that it was a, an absolutely key factor that they were on board with it because at the end of the day they hadn't got a women's team and and they were keen to have one and the first time i approached them it, it wasn't right for us but now at that point in time it was the right move and has proved to be the case
1: so your first four season at Colesley was in the Midlands Regional Division One, and with the majority of the squad from when you were at Boldmere, the season turned out to be another great success for the club by winning the division title and the League Cup final against League Town with Hayley Chatwin grabbing the winner. Uh, the final took place at Stone Dominoes. and what I remember most vividly from that game, Mandy, was the early start with it being a 10 o'clock kick-off on a Sunday morning. But what was really impressive was the support you got from the club and the fans at the time, with the Sutton Ultras turning up with their musical instruments to add to the atmosphere. I remember actually standing next to Chris Webber when he was playing the drums throughout the course of the match as well. And it should be noted as well, the chairman, Nick Thurston, and other committee members, Alex Maloney, Neil Morell was there as well, other members of the board and people you know from the committee side of the club, who also made the early effort on Sunday morning to attend the final and cheer you on to win the cup now during the post-final celebrations back at Coles Lane was it at that point that you thought that making the decision to move to Coles Lane was overall
0: the right thing to do it was massive support and uh, despite that ridiculously early kick off time on a Sunday morning you know people had turned out in their droves to come and support us and a fantastic feeling of satisfaction knowing and feeling that we'd arrived and We'd got some silverware to, to put in the bank and say to the the club there, you know, we've done that and we've done it as Sutton Codfield Town Ladies. It was always the right thing to do. But as you say, you know, you were there. You know the noise that was made that day. That was something that will will stick with me for, for a long, long time. It was it was fantastic support.
1: And if we move on to the 2018-2019 season, that was your first in the Westlands Regional Premier Division. And it would be fair to say that up to this point, with the successive promotion and league record in terms of games you've been winning, this season would prove to be a much tougher test for you, the squad, the coaching staff and yourself as a manager. The previous season in this division witnessed Bedford United and Learfield Athletic fighting out for the title, of which Bedworth then won to gain promotion into the National League. So at the start of this campaign, Leafield would be considered one of the title favourites. During the summer, knowing the quality of the league you were going into, did you have to take stock and assess the strength and depth of your squad and in particular what areas you needed to improve on both on and off the pitch?
0: Absolutely, and, and that started before the season ended. A number of players went, we brought a number of players in and we knew really where we had to strengthen off the pitch. There were other changes taking place which meant that we could bring in other people to do a range of jobs so that was a big a big help and i think at the end of the day the squad changed and you know it takes a little bit of time to bed down once you've brought in five or six new players and you've given other people the opportunity to move up from the the reserve side as well so again the the squad needs to re-gel and refocus
1: that debut season in the Premier Division, as predicted, you were battling out with Leifield for the title, with strong challenges coming from Crusaders and Camden Court throughout the season. But the season finished with Leifield win the title and gaining promotion to the National League. If we reflect on this season to begin with, this would have been the first time whereby players who have been with you since the start, Andy, since the Balmere days, had endured a league campaign with no title promotion for their efforts. How did your longest serving players react to this when the season finished?
0: If you want the honest truth, they were crying. It was a devastating end and a draining end to the season because we hadn't done what we wanted to do. My view right from the start was that we would we would try and get to the national league in seven seasons, and we're still on for that took that tally now. This was a real sort of you know we could have done this type attitude. we could have done this. It's our fault we didn't do it. And fair play, you know, Leefield were, were a, a good side and they were well organised. But yeah, the senior players were absolutely in bits and it's something that will stick with us and we've learnt from and we don't want that feeling again. So it does come round and and act in a positive way when you, when you suffer like that. But I think that once you've been through it, you don't want it to happen again. So we're twice as wise and... Uh, Really looking forward to the, the start of the new season. just
1: want to go back to that season for a moment, Andy. Like two key league games during this season I would like to discuss in more detail with you, being in September, the home defeat at the hands of Leefield at Coles Lane, which proved costly. But up until February, it would be fair to say that you were still in the mix of the title. It was pretty much nip and tuck between yourselves and Leefield. But for a costly 4-3 home defeat against Camden Court. And two observations at the time was... The sluggish start has to be said by the team as Cannon went to a 2-0 lead very early in the match. It's not unlike yourselves to start that slowly in a match, certainly when you're playing at home at Coles Lane. And also a costly injury time winner by the visitors, which on being honest, was probably down to a defensive error at the time as well. From a psychological point of view, that the players never really recovered from that defeat, which giftedly for the title. And in the lead up to and during the game, were you already identifying areas that you felt you needed to strengthen or address within the squad? going into next season before the season actually finished?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We were second best, we were lethargic and there were reasons for that which I don't want to go into in the, in the public arena but um, they were certainly addressed afterwards and it resulted in a number of players at the end of that season departing. I don't really want to say any more on that because it was not a good time for us and certainly it was very annoying at the time because it was like throwing it away. People around that had put so much work and effort into it just didn't deserve that sort of performance or that situation. So it was very, very disappointing.
1: To finish off the season, Anna, you did feature in the League Cup final, and ironically enough, it was against Leefield again at Stone Dominoes, with Imogen Fisher scoring the winner to win the cup and deny Leefield the opportunity to win the double. Did this performance and his victory in the cup final go some way to make up for the disappointment of losing out on promotion?
0: No absolutely not it was yeah it was nice to win the cup but you'd always trade that in for winning the league and promotion any day so i think it wasn't a um, a good substitute it was a piece of silverware so we've got to be grateful for that but at the end of the day you you'd trade that in for, for promotion, any time. It was nice, and it was good to get the win, and and we deserved the win as well. You know, Stone Dominoes was a big pitch. You know, it's a really big, almost max size pitch. We deserved that win, no doubt about that. But uh, it didn't make up for the the loss of. Uh, finishing top
1: or promotion. Andy, since the club has been based at Coles Lane, you've managed to expand the coaching and management structure with Rob Clark, who you knew from your time at Balmer on board, now as assistant manager, Mark Smith as first team coach, and establishing the development team, Sutton Coldfield Town Royals. Now, can you elaborate further as to why you recruited Rob and Mark, the impact they've both had since joining the club, and how the development team continues to be a pathway for women in the community to want to play football?
0: I rapidly realised that um, we needed to change. We needed to bring in different people, different approaches, different ways of doing things. I knew Rob Clark. I'd spoken to him at the back end of the previous season and said, "Look, I'd really like you to come and be involved." Um, and Fair Play he did come and come to some games and whatever else. So it was a good eye opener for him to be able to see how it worked and what went on, but. That was an an absolutely essential move to bring in that level of support and understanding. Rob works exceptionally hard. Uh, He's very good with the players. As anyone who knows him, he's a million percent organised on the case and delivers. So it's very much he does what it says on the tin. Mark Smith, very different type of character, has excellent technical knowledge and works with the players on that aspect of of the game and um, again you know really nice person really good with the players really calm really down to earth and has a really good effect on on the squad and particularly half time you know Mark always has something valuable to impart at half time which could, could change a game and uh, you know I'm really grateful that, that we've got these two guys on board because you know they've made a massive difference to how we do things and what the players do as well. So, yeah, really grateful for, for their input and um, you know, long may that continue.
1: Andy, for the 2019 20 season, other teams in the Premier Division add to their squads, uh, most noticeably, Redditch United, League Town, and a new addition to the league for this season were Solihull Ladies United, who proved to be more than capable of competing at this level. By the time the league was expunged, the three teams I mentioned and yourselves had become the established top four in the division, with Redditch the league leaders. If the season had carried on, do you think you had left yourselves too much to do to to overtake Redditch to win the league? Or were you still confident you could have won the title this season?
0: We'll never know, is the answer to that. But I think it was a tall order. It was very much a tall order in terms of being able to claw back and relying on other people to drop points. Redditch had got it fairly nailed down. And and my bet is that they would have carried on and, and won the league. And then it would have been sort of a second place for or Leak Town or ourselves to, to do that. No, I don't think, in reality, I don't think we would have caught them up. We may have won all our games. We won our last nine games before the, the close down, but I think that uh, it's one one that uh, got away for them, really, because, you know, Redditch had got the points in the bag. I know they played more games. Leak, also, Leak had played a lot less games, but, again, you know, they'd only lost to us, so... They were still in a good position. We dropped too many points too early on through our own means. I think it was too far away.
2: A recent announcement from the club has confirmed the introduction of a reward scheme for players. Can you elaborate further on this? And is this a step towards eventually having the players signed up to paid contracts?
0: The club wanted to recognise what the ladies have done and to offer some support in terms of moving up the the football pyramid. There is a lot of change in football at the moment. You've got a number of clubs offering incentives and doing this sort of thing and, and we felt that it would be good to introduce a reward scheme to recognise this and to support the players. So the practicality of it is that this will be a win bonus only. So this is not getting paid per se, just for turning up and whatever else. It is a bonus that will be paid to the players for winning league games. It's not for draws, it's not for losses, it's purely for winning league games. The part of bringing that in was to be able to attract higher level players to the club. I'm not wanting to, to bring in 10 players. What I'm looking to do is to utilise that to be able to bring in three or four quality players that will make a difference to us next season and that was part of the the reason for bringing this in to recognize that we need to up our game and to be able to have a stamp that says yep yeah, you know we're going to reward you but you've got to perform to do it and uh, I don't think that's unreasonable And rather than just pay out money for the sake of it but it's been recognized by the club and obviously you know, the players are are pleased, but again it will mean more competition, it will mean competitive places for people within the team, it will stimulate interest, it will also put a target on our backs because, you know, we've already got this to some extent but, you know, they always want to beat the team that's that's getting financial rewards and uh, that's understandable but um, we live within our means, we don't do rash things. We offer a lot. We offer good training, good medical resources, um, a minibus to away games, the players don't pay subs. So, you know, it's a good package and um, if it helps us get who we want and what we want to get out of this league and move into the National League, then all well and good.
1: So Andy, while you didn't gain a promotion this season, other successes included reaching the semi-final of the County Cup and reaching the third preliminary round of the FA Cup. Now, did these achievements contribute towards the supporting the club's decision
0: to introduce a reward scheme for the players? It didn't do any harm. Obviously, they're good achievements for a club at our level, but we were talking about this way prior to Christmas and having discussions on a regular basis running up to the the close down really because of the virus i think the club are supportive of what we do coincidentally those two games obviously gave us a bit of a profile and and were a good achievement but i think broadly the club felt that this would be a a good opportunity to put in this scheme and be in a position to make those attractions to other players make us attractive Get people in, and also be in a situation where, you know, the men and the women can be can be treated in a in a similar way.
2: Looking ahead over the next three years, is the target to be an established team in the national
0: league? Absolutely. From day one, that's been my aim to get the team into the national league. It would happen in a indirect sort of way. I very much believe that that you spend all your time preparing for the next stage and that's what we're trying to do at this moment in time we're trying to bring in players that can play at national league level that will still be with us if and when we get into the national league our target you know I'd put it even further down than that you know we want this promotion next season and certainly within two seasons we've got to get into that league so we will work as hard as we can to make sure we achieve that objective.
1: Andy, for Sutton and ladies to progress beyond the National League and to reach the Championship, for example, you know, higher in the pyramid, do you think that would largely depend on the success of the men's side of the club and how far they can go in the non-league pyramid themselves?
0: That's true because, obviously, the higher up they go, the bigger their rewards, the bigger the crowds, the more interest is stimulated in the club rather than the men's or the ladies' team. It brings people to the ground. So it does... Make a bit of a difference, but we have to uh, plough our, our own furrow in this and make sure that we do what we can do. The men's success will come or not, but at the same time, you know, we have to be able to be in a position to do the best we can with the resources that we have. Interestingly, when we first came over to Sutton Town, the chairman said to me, He said, Wouldn't it be lovely one day to for a certain ladies team to host Aston Villa ladies at Coles Lane in a league game, that was not an overly flippant remark because it would be an interesting prospect, wouldn't it? You know? And let's hope one day we, we reach those dizzy heights. But at the moment, we have to be realistic. We cut our cloth accordingly and we'll do the very best we can and and get the most out of the resources that we have.
2: Andy, you were speaking about the insane amount of work you were put in to establish a new team, browsing for new players. If you could name just one trait a footballer should have,
0: what would it be? Lots of things really but I would have to say that determination is, is a really important thing. You can have all the ability in the world but if you don't apply it and you're not determined, you just won't get anywhere. Similarly, in other situations, if you lack that pushed that determination to achieve, to do something, to do it to the best of your ability, then, you know, I was not a fantastic footballer. I did my job. I was big, strong, quick, and I could kick the ball 60 yards. And in the 1970s, that's what full-backs did. There was no overlapping. You were very rarely allowed over the halfway line. But things have changed for the better. I think that if you are determined and you have the right mentality, you can achieve anything you want. And and I say to the young kids that come along, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. It's up to you. You may not realise that now, but you could be exactly what you want to be. It's down to you. We'll help you along the way, but we'll do as much as we possibly can to make your dreams come true as well.
2: And regarding your philosophy on football, you've said that the team is a puzzle that the coach has to piece together but people doing sport as professionals they are, as you said, determined competitive and they're extremely confident. How do you piece strong personalities together to work as a team?
0: You need characters and my belief is you don't pick the best 11 players, you pick the best combination of 11 players going back a long long time the England World Cup side were not the best 11 footballers that England had at the time they were the best 11 combination that Alf Ramsey put together to win that trophy there were other very gifted players that didn't get on in that game didn't get selected and it just proves that you know if you do have that determination you do have that balance of people and personalities you can achieve an awful lot that's what i try and do and and fit jigsaw puzzle together so that all the pieces nicely drop into place wouldn't that be a wonderful thing but uh, i really i love the game i love to play have the game played as it should be played but you do as a player you do need you need that determination to succeed
2: And now since the season has finished and during the lockdown regarding COVID-19, how have you managed to keep in touch with the team to maintain their team spirit and fitness levels through this tough time?
0: The players have had apps on their phones. They do competitive running with each other on the app so that there's some competitive element in there about distances and times and speeds and things like that we've provided a good friend of mine is the head of sports science at Coventry City men's uh, and he's kind of given me the the fitness program they've used during the the shutdown the lockdown so the players have had that our physio has has also given them exercises and ideas to to follow and more recently in the last two weeks Rob Clark been doing one-to-one sessions with the players on the pitch so, they've all started to come back, but albeit on a one to one and socially distanced basis. So, they're all itching to get back now. And with the news of the new setup and what we're going to do and how it's going to work, then it all bodes, bodes well. And we now have to convert that and make it happen for the season. So, they're going to be well prepared. And I don't think we'll have to, to work them that hard when pre season starts because a lot of them will be very fit to start with.
1: OK, Andy, now it's time for the quick fire round. Best player you've ever managed and why in the women's game?
0: Natalie Paul at Reedswood. Just a superb player. Great feet, good attitude, works exceptionally hard.
1: Best ground you've played at in terms of an away trip? What's your favourite ground you've been to and why?
0: Leak Town is my favourite place. Why? Because we always win there.
1: And my last question, Andy. Sum up managing Sutton Town ladies in three words. Challenging, hard work, rewarding great stuff. Agatha, back to you. Thank you. Before we wrap up our conversation,
2: our guests are choosing a song that will be played here on Switch Radio. So Andy, could you please reveal the song you have chosen and what's the story behind this particular song?
0: Okay, this particular song had a magic effect on me really when i was sort of 15 16 playing football and watching programs like the old grey whistle test you know where proper musicians played it was one of those things where you went into school the next day after this particular group were on um old grey whistle test and everyone was saying well wow what was that you know that was that was fantastic never heard anything like it i'm sure your listeners sort have never heard anything like this at all but kept in my heart and uh that you remember for forever and a day. The group that sang this were a Dutch group in 1972 called Focus and they produced a song called Hocus
1: Pocus. Okay, that's great stuff, Andy. So Andy, thanks for revealing your jukebox challenge for us. We will play Focus and Hocus Pocus for you on the Women's Football Podcast. It just leads me to say, Andy, on behalf of myself, Agatha, and all the team at Switch Sport, thanks ever so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. A fascinating story. You've done lots of great positive things throughout the men's game and the women's game. Exciting times here at Coles, I no doubt. Take care, look after yourself, and we'll catch you again at the start of next season. Switch Radio Sport.
2: This is Switch.